Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted today to be joined by a friend um, and somebody who's influenced a lot about what I think about in this market, in this field. He's just, he's pure in a good way entertainment, um, but by what he does and how he does it. Michael Bungay-Stanier um, wrote The Coaching Habit, again, had a profound impact on how I coach, profound impact on how we look at coaching uh, within Potential Squared. Um, he's also just in terms of the way he thinks about his work and his writing and MBS works um, is a real inspiration. So you're going to get a story, you're going to get a sense of Michael today, uh, the humor, the background um, and the, that experimentation that he's got around how he operates. Really good conversation. So hopefully you enjoy it. Here's me leaping from the interesting parts of my life. Because yeah. when most people tell the story about who they're from, they're like, let me tell you all my little successes and show you all my medals. And it's a bit boring, actually, for most people. Yeah. Born in Canberra, Australia's national capital and a very large suburb. So mm -hmm. quiet place to grow up, but lovely place to grow up. Bounced through high school and had fun there. Went to my local university, ANU, Australian National University, where... Mm -hmm. I did such things as appear in the law review, the on stage show in something called synchronized nude male modeling. Um, Lovely. We're, we're yeah. all grateful that YouTube <laughs> didn't exist back then because that would have been traumatizing for people at the time, but also me now seeing, seeing <laughs> that. Um, I finished law I did an, an, a, a literature degree, which I liked in reading books. Mm. But I also did a law degree out of anxiety because I'm like, you can't get a job with an English degree. So I finished law school being sued by one of my law school professors for defamation, which put the kibosh. <laughs> I mean, I had done a, I'd done a, I'd done a, a year, a summer job as, in a law firm, and I was like terrible at it. Also, it's like, I could just see how soul-destroying it was. I mean, it's like oh. literally you track your time every six minutes, and I'm like, that's literally dehumanizing me as we speak. So it takes anyway. me six minutes to get a thought out. Let alone uh, no, exactly. <laughs> so being sued by that professor was a kind of kibosh on any hopes I had of pursuing a law degree. I also mm. won a scholarship that got me to England where at Oxford, my only real achievement was meeting my wife, literally mm. 30 years plus one day from today. We, wow. we, our first date was on the 20th of November and we're, recording this on the 21st and yeah. th this is what was happening this morning 30 years ago <laughs> this is so cool we'd, we'd had a really great first date the night before we'd had mm. we'd gone to this kind of college dinner and then we went out dancing till 3am it was amazing but this morning 30 years ago i was playing australian rules aussie rules um, wow. oxford versus cambridge and i was like i said to myself come along so she came along with her friend marnie and uh, it was pouring with rain, it was cold, it was dark, it was miserable, because of course it was, it was England, and England's yeah, pretty much always like looking, that. And now it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 30 years on, the weather hasn't changed a bit. So very slippery, Aussie rules is like, 18 men on both sides running around a slippery little ball trying to get it, and there's a little scrabbling around in the mud. Anyway, five minutes into this, having been in one of those melees, I looked down at my hand and it was my arm was covered in blood, and I'd split my finger, my my hand open, and so, <laughs> so I was like, ah, and so I wandered off the field, and I'm like, I thought 
and I'm like, it looked like I, as I looked at my hand, I could see all the way down inside my arm into my elbow. Oh. There was a lot of blood. There's a lot of mm. internal <laughs> flesh mm. I could see. I know, exactly. So anyway, I was like, my son was like, okay, I'm going to take you to the hospital. So yeah. we, we hailed a cab. I was in my Lotharia mode. So I was, even though I was in shock, covered in mud, mud, you know, rain matted hair. I was like, Hey, I had a lovely time last night, darling. It was, it was, she's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, we, at a certain point we said to the taxi driver, Hey, look, we've only got five pounds cash to our name. Um, so he was like, well, this is as far as your money takes you. So we had to walk the last two miles to the oh, hospital no. <laughs> Afterwards, I got my hand stitched up, and then Marcella took me back to her her place. I slept in her bed. Yeah. She went and slept in somebody else's bed bedroom for that first date, and it was uh, it was the start of a beautiful relationship. So that is amazing. Anyway, thirty odd years. Oh, thirty thirty, 30 years. days to the day today that that Aussie oh, Rules game happened. That is amazing. And uh, anyway, I finished a master's degree at Oxford in literature, mm. stumbled into the world of innovation and creativity and spent a, a bunch of years trying to invent stuff. Mm. Um, I made a serious contribution to what has been called on whiskey.com the world's worst single malt whiskey ever invented. So I helped I love it. invent that. Be I More Wrong the- is the book title <laughs> that I've got in my mind. <laughs> I moved into the world of consulting and change management because I had been really mm-hmm. curious as to why all the ideas we invented in the world of you know, new product development never went anywhere. We never really launched anything. That took me from London to Boston, Boston to Toronto. We moved to Toronto. My wife and I moved to Toronto. We had flights out of uh, on 9-11, so mm-hmm. 21 years ago. And it meant that my, the job I had lined up in Toronto fell apart, which was the catalyst for me then starting my own business. So Box of Crayons was born. After a certain amount of time faffing about doing anything I could to earn money because, you know, <laughs> I had a, you a broad range of skills and no knowledge of how to run a business, we found our vibe, which is around practical coaching skills, which then got a big boost six or seven years ago when I wrote a book called The Coaching Habit, which has had a, a ton of success. And so now... Uh, Box of Crowns is run by Shannon Minifee, a far more competent CEO than I ever was or ever will be. Um, mm. And I run a, a, a different company called MBS.Works, which is more about giving people the confidence to back themselves and build stronger working relationships and do work that matters. Amazing. And I can vouch for Shannon is much better than you and me and everybody else who's a CEO. She's just amazing. And oh tell a story about where you met her because I, I always yeah. love that. So I live in Toronto, Canada, uh, in a place called uh, near High Park, the big, the big like Central Park in London or Hyde Park, uh, Central Park in New York or Hyde Park in London. And the main street up there is called Roncesvalles. My wife and I, favorite restaurant was on Roncesvalles called mm. Dafina Pizza. And we were sitting at the bar eating pizza and Shannon was behind the bar and we got talking to her and she was doing a PhD in literature. Now my wife has a PhD in literature. I have a master's degree in literature. So we're like, ah, book person. So we kind of geeked out about books for a bit. And in the end I hired her to come and do a little bit of help marketing the coaching habit. So hired her six or seven years ago. Honestly, one of the best things I've done was to recognize her capacity. And, you know, three years ago she took on being the CEO of Boxer Crayons and just is just has that sort of there's two things that make her brilliant as a ceo one is she's 
she's got that ability to kind of do pattern thinking so big picture thinking making connections Mm -hmm. seeing the landscape seeing into the future a little bit and secondly she is very good at just putting her finger on the soft spots Mm -hmm. and pushing on them and just going this isn't this needs to be better this isn't right yet Turns out I have none of those capacities. I, I was a CEO getting by on kind of chutzpah and kind of bravado and, you know, the patriarchy because I'm a tall, white, old dude. So I'm like, that That worked in my favor. But now we have somebody who knows what she, she's actually doing. Yeah. And I'm not tall, but I had the rest of it and I'm still trying to get yeah, by. Exactly. It. But yeah, I have exactly. Sharon, who's my equipment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good to know. It's good to know when to get out of your own way. So exactly. do something different. Yeah. I, I want to dig into the coaching habit because it's had yeah. a profound impact on me, my coaching, but it's had a profound impact on a number of people. But for those who don't know this, because I'm still coming across people who are doing what I would call teaching coaching the old school way, and yeah. you do it yeah. very differently. I'd love you to explain what's different about it. I wrote the coaching habit to try and unweird coaching, really for people who are um, regular regular people, managers or leaders or individual contributors in the work setting, rather than people who are professional coaches, although it has a fan base amongst that as well. Mm. Coaching often gets kind of created in this slightly black box, mysterious, woo-woo, you know, it's like some sort of ancient art that you're kind of like, how do you do this? And so it's got this kind of, at its worst, it's this combination of, I'm just going to tell you what to do. Mm. And I'm going to kind of do a whole bunch of weird touchy-feely stuff that, I mean, I like touchy-feely stuff, but sometimes that combination is not particularly terrific. For me, uh, and through the coaching habit, we just kind of went, here's how, here's the goal we're looking for. This is the Mm. behavior that is at the heart of coaching. Can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush Mm. to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? And most of us are not that good at, at staying curious a little bit longer through mm. through habit because we've been rewarded for years for having answers um, and through a desire to help and a desire to stay in control <laughs> and a yeah. desire to be the smart person in the room and add value, we, we tend to rush to advice giving. There's a place for advice just a little later than you think. And if yeah. you can stay curious a little bit longer, the type of relationship you have and the type of conversations you have changes. I mean, in the book, it's like, here are seven good questions that you can use to, that cover a lot of circumstances. And if you just use these more often, you're going to make good progress. But at the heart of it is the insight, stay curious a little bit longer. And for somebody, you know, because the next book was The Advice Trap and then How to Begin came after that. And what I've loved about, you know, from our conversations at ISA organization where we sat and we talked books, but you've always been curious, but you've always been willing to deconstruct some things in terms of your own life um, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just even the box of crayons story um, and get more curious about life in general. Tell me how you keep that curiosity going because I think it's a, it's a lesson for others. I'm not sure I have a great answer for that, Colin. You know, Mm -hmm. it's um, in part, I'm, I'm probably slightly, first of all, I'm slightly wired that way. Like I'm nosy. (laughs) (laughs) And, and also I'm, one of the things that I'm good at, and this is part wiring, part practice, is trying to find simplicity on the other side of complexity. 
Nice. So I get great pleasure out of working something and kind of going, here's a simple way of teaching this or a simple way of explaining this. Mm. And that's something I'm good at. You know, if I had to name the kind of the thing that I'm good at a a few things, but I think Mm. I'm really good at that's probably hardest to replicate is this ability to what Shannon, the CEO would say is to thingify stuff, (laughs) give it form, give it structure, give it names, you know, in, in the business world, it's useful because that actually creates IP, intellectual property, that becomes tools and, and, and valuableness to the organization. But it's also just helpful in a teaching way to give people kind of handles so that they can grab stuff and climb climb up the wall. I'm looking at my little office here. I'm surrounded by books, yeah. <laughs> unread, unread books. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's a, a joy of reading. I, I, and I, and a joy of creating and making as well. Like before we hit record, you and I were talking about book writing because we're both mm. authors yeah. and we're like, it's, it's kind of hard and it's a bit miserable. And I just was showing some statistics that said 86% of books don't break even. They sell less than 5,000 copies. Mm. It's, it's really hard to make a success out of writing a book. But for me, writing a book is a great way to, find a new way about talking about stuff, find a new way about sharing a tool that might be helpful for people. I'm reading uh, Marshall Goldsmith's, uh, you know, Earned Life uh, mm-hmm. book. I just find it. And he's been part of a big influence in your life as well in terms of the top yes. 50 coaches and other pieces yeah. because he's he's a classic curiosity person in a lot of he ways. Is. Yeah. He is. He's an interesting dude. You know, he, he created this thing called The 100 Coaches, uh, it was originally it was the 15 coaches <laughs> and I got asked to apply by a, a mutual friend and I was like, you know, I don't want to apply for that. I mean, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to be my own man. I don't want to be under the, I don't want to be a Marshall Goldsmith person. I want to be a Michael Bungay Stenier person. So I didn't apply. Marshall and I were both speaking at a conference in Toronto, so I arranged to have breakfast with them. So I said, isn't breakfast? And Marshall, in a classic Marshall move goes, yeah, I love you. I, I think of you as an adopted son. I'm like, I've never met him before. I'm like, this is all happening quite quickly. And he's like, and you're definitely one of the 15. I'm like, oh, man, I haven't even applied for one of the 15. <laughs> anyway, I got selected as one of the 15, which is great. But then that that idea has evolved and changed. It's like a bigger group of us now. Mm-hmm. But but Marshall is he's very interesting in terms of like thinking about legacy. I mean, what I love about his Marshall Goldsmith 100 is his idea is I will teach you everything I know for free. Your job is to, to also do something like that, that passes legacy on to pass his teaching on. Mm. Yeah. I admire him for that. Yeah. And a, a legacy is an interesting one because I've always had debates over time and you know, how to begin yeah. why is, is a book about how to, to, to pick, I, I love, I love the depressing time clock at the beginning of it around, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, you've only got five big projects and you're going to yeah. die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I think this concept of legacy is in a lot of us and the second mountain that you got me onto again, a yeah. really good book in terms of prompting. So what, talk to people a bit about that, because I think there's a lot of people probably sitting out there going, well, I'd love to do what these guys do, Yeah. but actually how'd you do it? I hold legacy in a kind of paradox, which mm. is, I assume in a hundred years time, nobody will have heard of me. Nobody will know me. Nobody will remember me. My impact in the world will have just blown away. And mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with that. Like yeah. I love, I love, uh, 
the Shelley poem, Ozymandias, Ozymandias, I can have you pronounce that, where it's like, mm-hmm. look upon my legacy, ye mighty, and weep, and the lone de- sands of the desert stretch to the horizon. I mean, it, it all, yeah. it, 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 civilizations rise and fall. I'm mm-hmm. no civilization, but, you know, my, I, it's like I'm not going to be remembered in a hundred years' time. Yeah. And I find that not depressing. I find that really freeing because I'm like, mm. so go for it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like Get that a, video yeah. back out from my early youth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so in part, I think about legacy as what's the best thing I can do that mm. is the, the best expression of myself and kind of mm. helps pull me forward into the next best version of me, but mm. also what contributes to the world to make the world a better place. It's a numbers game. And if you can think about how do you make your best contribution to the world in a way that serves you, is thrilling for you, but is important and serves the world, then everybody wins. I think there are these moments where we come to crossroads. You know, when you when you f- finish university, I think you're at a, a crossroad or finish school um, mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, what am I doing? Am I going to be part of capitalism? <laughs> am I going to be not part of capitalism? Yeah. Am I going to work for myself? So there's all of that. Then there's the classic 35-year-old so-called midlife crisis moment where you're like, okay, I've, I've been, I've done 10 years of adulting. Where the hell am I? <laughs> and how did I, don't I end think up I've done here? 10 years. I think yeah. I've a lot less than that. <laughs> And then there's the place where you and I are. I mean, Colin, you're, mm. you're very close to being an empty nester. I, when you hit the kind of 50s and 60s, you, if you have kids, your kids are, are gone, so you're like, now what? That was a key focus and they're no longer a key focus. For many mm. people, they're like, I'm at, I'm at a certain peak in my career and, you know, that's coming to an end. I can feel that that arc is coming to an end and I have another good 15 to 20 years left. What am I doing mm. with that? And that's when you can either go, well, I'm just going to go find a way of playing golf uh, on the regular, which is fine, but I'm not sure that gives a whole lot to the world. Or you're like, okay, so what's my next thing? How do I find something? And in the How to Begin book, I say, you know, find a worthy goal, something thrilling and important and daunting, which brings three things into tension. This what lights you up. Mm-hmm. Secondly, what gives more to the world than it takes? And thirdly, what takes you to your own learning edge so that you can kind of continue to crack yourself open and grow? And that learning edge is, is a critical one. And it's something that I think your other superpower, I mean, simplicity out of complexity is one, but I think the other is the learning edge when I sit around you. And then, you know, we sat next to some of the people like Ken Blanchard, other people in that room. Yeah. But there's something about that learning edge that you take people to with fun humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just an important bit. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's part of my style, which is like a degree yeah. of, uh, I, I do like to push people with a degree of like ribbing or as we would say in the UK, piss taking, because that's <laughs> yes. like part of the, part of the, the fun for me. So where is your learning edge now? Because you've done the how to begin. You've just got yeah. a new book that you're, you sent to that horrible place called the, <laughs> the editor. The copy editor. Yeah, the exactly. Editor. Yeah. yeah that, that comes out in, in June next year. Which might be interesting for people just to hear. Like we're doing this in November. Yeah. This book, I'm I'm slightly behind on my timetable for this, and it's not coming out for another seven months. But because it's just it, these things just take time to get out into the world. In the How to Begin book, I talk about these three different lenses a, a great work project can have. It can it can have a project. It can be about people, or it can be about patterns. 
So project is how most people would name or articulate their worthy goal, which is like, here's the thing I'm trying to do. I'd be starting a business, writing a book, beginning a charity, beginning a PhD, who knows? It's like, but it's, a, it's doing a thing. Uh, it could have a focus around people. In other words, how do you change the nature of your relationship? Like for you, Colin, and I'm just making this up, but you know, mm. knowing that you're about to be an empty nester, a worthy goal for you may be going, how does my wife and I redefine our relationship now that parenting isn't a key part of, you know, day-to-day parenting isn't a key part of what we do. We need to redefine this to go, how do we reset our relationship for whatever's next? That could be a worthy yeah. goal. Yeah. And then the third focus, which is the most kind of staring in the mirror focus is patterns, by which I mean your own patterns, you know, your own language and your own labels and the way you show up in the world. What I am trying to do, this is my learning edge, is to think of myself as a writer, to become a writer. Not think of myself as a writer, to become a writer, which will sound odd to some people because, you know, you and I have just been talking about all the books I've written, and I have written, I think, seven or eight books now. But mostly I write those on the edge of all the other stuff that I do. (laughs) You know, I'm like doing this, I'm doing that, I'm giving speeches, trying to run yeah. businesses and I'm trying to support Shannon, the CEO. Like, that's just a lot of other things that I, I do. And when I think about what a writer does, they, they structure their world a bit differently than the way I structure my world. Mm. At least I think that's the case. The learning edge for me is how do I construct a way of living that puts writing at the heart of what I do? Author is is a technical term meaning you have you have written books. Mm-hmm. Writer is a identity term meaning you make this the most central part of who you are. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the learning edge for me because I'm finding it quite hard to let go of a whole bunch of things about how I currently work. My to-do list is the bane of my life, but it also turns out to be a bit of a comfort blanket for me, which is like, look how many things I have on my to-do list. Yeah. You know, and a writer would not have a whole big to-do list. Mm-hmm. A writer it, would have pretty much one thing on the to-do list, which is read some, or two things, read some books and then write some stuff yeah. and then start drinking heavily in the, in the early afternoon. So three things. <laughs> I haven't got to that channel bit, my though. Hemingway, yeah, 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 Hemingway. I was just about to say. So, it, it, I mean, it is, but it's classic here because there's so many people out there who will say, you know, one of the things is have your side side hustle. Yeah, that people are starting to think. So, have your side hustle. It's in the tech industry, side hustle. So, therefore, it can be your big thing in the future. Yeah, yeah. But people never get to it because yeah. there's so much other things that yeah, are happening exactly. in their lives. Um, thinking about the patterns, how have you distilled down what you want to be and what you're good at because there's a difference between what you want to do and what you're you're good at i have ideas for another three or four books like really kind of tangible ideas about what they could be and those ideas have stuck around long enough for me to go there's probably something actually here (laughs) because you know i have lots of ideas all the time and most of them are are terrible Um, but these ones (laughs) i'm like you know what there's something here that irritates me enough that i want to write about it because i think i can do a better job at teaching it or explaining it or, or whatever it might be I have a sense of what I'm good at, which is writing books yeah. or, or teach, teaching in general. And writing books is one of the most powerful ways I can get my teaching out into the world. Mm-hmm. I probably haven't quite wrestled hard enough with what am I saying no to. And that's kind of kind of what I'm trying to work on now. You know, I've got my – I'm having another crack at having an executive assistant who will run stuff for me. Mm. 
So now I have to say no to controlling all the little miscellaneous stuff I currently control in my life and hand it over to Claudine and how will she do that and what will that look like? I'm right in the heart of kind of wrestling with that. You know, it's like much easier yeah. to teach it and tell other people to do it than actually do it yourself, but so it goes. Yeah, but I think there's a transparency to you, which I again I love because you're willing to say when it's difficult and you're willing to yeah. say that this is what I hold on to. And I think there's there's something in there because there is something about getting to the point of writing book, whatever. And it's it goes back to a conversation we had a while ago, which is the difference between practice leadership and thought leadership. Right, right. Um, I'd love for you to articulate because you you gave me a pattern in my head which was all about practice leadership yeah to get you to thought leadership Forget so I, don't, it I don't remember that tell, tell no. me tell me that conversation because we were sat in a thought leadership session and, yeah. and the, up on the screen was you need to be published in harvard Oh, HBR, yeah. you need to yeah. go through all of this. And then we're both sitting, well, I was sitting here and I was <laughs> looking at your face and I think you were thinking the same thing going, nah, never happened. Never, yeah. never happened. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so therefore I walked away from that session from our conversation going, yeah, I'm, I'm a practice leader Yeah. and I've always been happy with that. But I sense that's a bit of an excuse to go so I can still do all the other stuff that I'm doing in the side. Well, it's such an interesting conversation. You know, mm. thought leader, I don't know where that term came from particularly. Yeah. It feels like LinkedIn feels at the moment, which mm. is like everybody in LinkedIn is trying to claim thought leadership space. Yeah. So there's just a lot of shouty McShouty going on <laughs> in, in LinkedIn with a bunch of people using kind of well-tried tropes around how to make people read their stuff. So clickbait yeah. headlines and this and that. And most of the stuff that gets posted there, I would call, well, my acronym is to call it TRUE, T-A, or, or TABOO, mm -hmm. T-A-B-O, TRUE and Bleedingly Obvious. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm just no going into my post now just to check it. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, yep. Yeah. I'm like, it's like, here's a piece of recycled knowledge that I've read in eight books before. And I'm like, I, I'm like why am I reading this? Yeah. Now that publishing is democratized it, there's a lot of noise to go i'm trying to rise above the thing i'm trying to be useful i'm mm. trying to build my reputation as a thought leader this isn't a criticism of those people really because that's what we're all we're all trying to go how do i have the impact that i want to have mm. what does it mean to be a, a leader and sometimes it's like i mean with my i have a friend who's a coach and i was like don't write a book you don't you don't want to write a book you don't like writing books you've mm -hmm. been talking about it for 10 years and it's just not a not it does it's not actually something that you're excited by but then she has to find her own way of going what is the best expression of who i am and the work that i've got in the world yeah it's I'm interesting not, that's, that. that's not a great i mean that's more a ramble than an actual answer to something well you know it's a, it's a good ramble because it's got me thinking and i think that's part of it is that you know if i look at it one of the the strengths when you looked at posting and you look at posting and you look at is the ability to to repost other people's material yeah, yeah. that you think yeah. is good that's prompting your thinking so it goes back to your books yeah. and your offers stacked up next to you it's it's how <laughs> do we use all of this these patterns that we yeah. have around us to articulate things that are helpful and your 10 minutes or less of coaching was a massive yeah. help for people. I, you know, I'm known for my successes, like the coaching habit and how to teach, you know, how you can coach in 10 minutes or less. And let me show you how, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I, I just had a whole bunch of stuff that I put out into the world that has been greeted by crickets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
it hasn't even it hasn't even spectacularly failed. It's just, just. sunk in a grey haze of mediocrity <laughs> and and indifference. Yeah. <laughs> There's also this idea that it's a bit of a numbers game. I mean, same with my books. Hmm. I've written seven books. One of them has sold a million and a half copies. The hmm. others haven't. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, and 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 are unlikely to, and so I'm like, okay, so how do I try and boost my ego and try and boost sales of the books that are out there? How do I do? I still want to write a book if mm. only ten thousand people read it, and ten thousand people is, is still a lot of book sales. Yep, is that still the best use of my time and place? And I'm like, it might be because <laughs> for me, having a coaching habit as this kind of perpetual bestseller now means that the other books I write get pulled into its into its gravity. So if you read The Coaching Habit, you might then find one of my other books. So that's partly why I'm doubling down on being a writer and being an author is mm-hmm. how do I put, you know, how do I put fuel on the, on the fire that's actually working? In any profession, there's tough bits to get through, but actually yeah. crystallizing it down to say, so what do I want to be a writer? goes back to James yeah. Clear's identity, and then it goes yeah. into the habits, and then clearing yeah. all the clutter of the bad habits are away from you. And it goes down <laughs> to a sort of, yeah. yeah, it is hard. But it goes down to a sense of inner peace, really, in some ways. Yeah. Mm. And I look at yeah. you and I see when you're posting, when you're in Australia with family and other places, there seems to be a sense with your best friend post the other day, there's yeah. something that I see see you centered so much more centered now in, in what you're doing. And I wonder if that's got something to do with it because you're clearing the clutter. Uh, yeah, I think it's, um, it's also probably just as I, you know, that work around what makes me happy. Mm. How do I serve the world best? What game am I playing and what am I trying to win? Mm. And nice. I, there's a way that when you just get older, you're like some of these, you know, the, the way I talk about it perhaps is this. There's this uh, style of way of being in the world, which is being an elder. And when you mm-hmm. when you become an elder, you're less about trying to win your own battles, and you're more around. I'm now in service to other people. When I left being CEO of Box of Crayons three years ago, I started trying to read up about being an elder. Anybody who's listening to me, you already go, but Michael, you sound so young. And if you're watching any of the video clips, you're like, Michael, you look amazingly young. You only look like you're 28. And I'm like, I know. But I'm actually 54. (laughs) (laughs) Like, for instance, I've just been talking to a guy called Chip Conley who runs something called the Modern Elder Academy. And I'm going to Mm. teach, I think, next year at the Modern Elder Academy. And I'm excited about that. Claiming this identity as being a young elder is Mm. part of where the uh, maybe the sense of kind of contentment comes from. Yeah. And also having the good luck of having a big win with the coaching habit gives me a degree of freedom. And there's, you know, I, I think the, the process that you told me about going through to write that book, there's, there's a hard, hard work that's gone into to being successful on that. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, I was under contract with a publisher, uh, a, a regular publisher company in New York to write that book. And I spent five years and six versions of the book trying to get them to publish it. And they wouldn't, they didn't like mm. it. So yeah. in the end I went, okay, I'm going to pub- I'm going to self-publish it. Yeah. That worked out well. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I, keep, I keep being pulled into going, should I just email them and gloat that I've now hit a million and a half copies? And I'm like, no, be the bigger, be the bigger person, Michael. Come yes, on, you can, you yeah, can do this. On. You yeah. can do this. Yeah. Uh, 
I love it. Mate, we could talk for, for hours, but um, yeah. thank you for sharing the stories because I think this is, for me, this is what Leadership Tales is about. Uh, it is about the stories, the Shannon story, the book yeah. story, the identity of the writer story. I think all of this is crystallizing for people out there. A f- version of a pathway that they can take. Um, yeah. And I've loved following what you do. I love the work you do. So, But if Thanks, um, if if you had to answer one question, which is, and I, I probably know the answer to this, if you had to pick one biggest screw up in your life that's been your biggest teacher, what would it be? Uh, it's such a, I, I actually, I, I'd be curious to know what you think my answer is because I'm not sure what my answer is. You know, I've, I've got a, a whole a range of screw ups. Some of them are more spectacular than others, like being sued by my law professor when I, that was a big thing. Uh, the, the, the being the consultant and leaving that job because I kind of had spent three years struggling and failing at that job. There's been a series of things that have crystallized a sense of who I am. And years ago, I read, I think Ray Bradbury said, look, you got to take the, the you got to, you got to treat bad reviews exactly the same as good reviews, which is to mm-hmm. ignore all of them. Like none yeah. of them are, none of them are personal and all mm-hmm. of them are useful. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure what I, cause I, I think about failure so little. Mm. Um, and it's, I think it's wiring, um, mm. and, but practice as well, which is like, okay, that was another screw up. Mm-hmm. I rarely do any things where, where the risk is catastrophic. I'm always, I'm good at understanding what's at risk. Yeah. And I'm good at, I think mostly going so little is at risk. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. what is at risk is time mm-hmm. or money or reputation. Yeah. And time, I've made the choice to do the thing. So that, whether it succeeds or not, I've made that choice. Mm-hmm. Money, I, I'm, I, I always know roughly how much money is at risk and I'm not going to risk, you know, my life savings, whatever many that I'm not going to risk that $45 of my life savings. So I'm going to be fine with that. <laughs> and then in terms of my reputation, I'm like, I don't have a, re- nobody cares. Mm. <laughs> really nobody cares about me and my reputation. This is a terrible answer to a good question, which is, oh, I don't think that a much terrible about question with a good answer. I think it's the other way around. <laughs> what, 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 I mean, you said you thought you knew what the answer was going to be. What did you think I was going to say? So I thought you yeah, I've think you've lived your life as a series of small experiments, which is right. the ideal way to do it. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. And I think the only one that's in a lot of ways that you and I talked a lot about was being an entrepreneur, a CEO. Um, yeah. but actually that's turned out brilliantly in terms of Shannon and bringing her in and the other people right. that are coming into your life. So I, I would have said that the entrepreneur side yeah. versus that. So, maybe. you know, me, me ending up as a CEO of a company with 15 or 20 people and all sorts of stuff. I was, I was just not very good at that. I mean, really we got through by uh, having product that sold and the fact that I've got a certain amount of self-deprecating charm, but really, really wasn't a well-run company. It wasn't a well-structured company, but I don't really think of that as a failure. I just think of it as kind of clarity that, okay, I figured this out that I'm not good. And I'm like, what, so how do I make this a little bit better? And, you know, hiring Shannon turned out to, to, to be that. Brilliant. 
Sure, it's always a delight and a pleasure. If people want to find you, where would they find you at the moment? If if you have a vast amount of corporate training money and you don't want to spend it with Colin, then (laughs) boxofcrayons.com is the the website for that information about how we help big companies. Um, But if you're more about the individual growth and individual kind of learning and kind of cracking out your own best self, then mbs.works is the website. Yeah, totally recommend it. It's brilliant. Follow you and follow the work. And thank you to coming on. Uh, thank you to Shannon Michael. for giving you the space to come on. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Michael, thank you and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Yeah, thanks, Colin. So that was Michael Bungie standing here. MBS, uh, MBS Works, if you want to go uh, seek some more information about uh, his work there. I'm not going to point you to Box of Crayons because of that, you know, the uh, whether you want to spend it with us or them. No, seriously. Uh, we partnered with Michael uh, and Box of Crayons in one of particularly of our clients, and we still use um, his knowledge and his thinking around how we approach things. He's brilliant. Uh, love his humor. Love spending time with him. And I don't think I've ever met anybody who's uh, not given the feedback that's just getting some insights and wisdom from how he thinks really helps. So simplicity out of complexity is a great way of saying it. But for me, also experimentation in my language has been a a hallmark of what he's done in there. So hopefully the host didn't get in the way of the great story uh, from Michael Bungistani. And I'll look forward to welcoming you on another episode of the Leisure Tales podcast very shortly.